and uh, it's fantastic to spend this uh, Father's Day morning with all of you. Uh, this weekend, in fact, starting tomorrow, this week, uh, 58 of our teenagers, and including a few uh, counselors, are going to be at uh, kids at youth camp all week, and we're just praying that the Lord be, be in prayer for them all week. Uh, we want the Lord to put His Spirit upon our sons and our daughters. And so uh, it is great to also have with me, helping with the message this morning, uh, Pastor Josh Seaman. Now, Pastor Josh has for the past 14 years worked full-time at Pipkin Middle School right next door, and the last year and a half or so has been a part-time middle school pastor assisting us with our youth ministries. And as of this past week, this was Pastor Josh's first week full-time here at Central Assembly, and we are so grateful. After 14 years of Pipkin, and it's just a, a, amazing. And then Dr. Wade Nunley, uh, who has been assisting me with this series, this series, uh, our summer series, The Case for Truth. We're standing for truth. We're trying to understand not only the what of truth, but the why behind it. So there's been a lot of apologetics with this as well. We've dealt with sexuality the last two weeks, and Pat, Dr. Wave will be with us next week. And he will be talking about all of the evidence outside the Bible for the life of Jesus. And I think you'll find this especially helpful when you're sharing with non-Christian friends. But Dr. Wave, thank you for the great help you've been as well. And, and both these guys are, are dads. And today we'd like to talk about how we as fathers, how you, if you are a father, or if you're not a father, maybe you want to think of your nieces and nephews or or, or, or maybe your neighbor's kids that you interact with. How can we reinforce truth? We're talking about truth in this series. How can we as dads, as men, reinforce truth? And uh, Josh, I know that, uh, that you have a family. Uh, and uh, would you just tell us a word about, about your family, maybe what you like about being a dad? Yeah, I have two children, um, Lily, who is 14 and going to be a freshman this next year. She is in the nursery now, right now helping the little ones. And I have Garrett, who is 11, and he'll be a sixth grader going over to youth um, this fall. So there are two wonderful kids. I always heard growing up, Josh, you were going to pay for your raise. And I mean, my brother and I were ornery, and I'll, I'll tell you, I've not paid a dime for it yet. So um, I have two wonderful kids. They're great. I have my wife, Jennifer, it's in here with me um, today. We've been married um, 7,513 days. So you mathematicians, I'll let you figure out when we got married. And uh, so was, uh, we have a wonderful family, really enjoy. And I'd, I'd say really my favorite thing about being a dad is just time with my kids. I love connecting with them. I love getting into their world and relating to them. Um, I love Nerf nights um, when we'll turn out all the lights in the house and it's dark and we play Nerf war with flashlights and it's just connecting with them on that level. Um, and it's, it's, I've seen over the years, you know, it's looked different when they're younger. It's taking them to the park and it changed, it changes as it gets, as it gets older. But um, probably the moments that, that still that I look to and I think, thank you, Jesus, is even just this week um, with Lily and Garrett walking into Walmart or even the mall. And as we're walking in, Lily or Garrett will reach over and grab my hand and hold it and we will walk hand in hand together. And that 
is worth more than anything in the world to me. It's what I value and treasure more than anything. And so just thank the Lord for it. So a little bit about me and my family. Yeah, that's great. You are a great dad. Now, Dr. Wave, tell us a little about your family. And you have the funniest story about how you found out you're going to be a father. Yes, I do. We've been married almost 43 years. When we were newlyweds, almost my wife was in graduate school. I was working as a lineman for the phone company. So on that fateful day that we were supposed to get some really important news, uh, my partners and I, we'd been having lunch at a Greasy Spoon restaurant and uh, got finished and we we're going back to our work truck and back in an alleyway, um, I knew it was time to call and we were trying to live as frugally as we could in those days. And so I put my hooks on, put my safety belt on, climbed up a telephone pole, got my headset out and uh, butted into somebody's uh, telephone and called my wife, uh, Lacey, and she said, congratulations, you're going to be a father. I almost flipped off the pole backward. <laughs> So it's, uh, it's, it's been upward from there, not downward, I promise. <laughs> but you do have two children? We've got two kids and we've got four grandchildren and love every minute of it. It's, it's just awesome being a, a, a parent and also being a, maybe even more so because you, you've kind of done this before, being a grandparent and um, getting to work with those little ones and love them. Yeah, I know. Sandy and I had uh, two daughters and they're both in their early 30s right, right now. Uh, they both got married, interestingly enough, when they were 26 years old. So we had two weddings two years apart. And we just, this is my first uh, Father's Day being a grandfather now. Oh, where did that picture come from? That's a little Paxton James Sebastian, grandchild number one. They are heart stealers, I have to tell you. Uh, so. Anyway, he's going to be in Central Assembly in three weeks. They're going to come and visit us. So, uh, Anyway, I, I want to thank you guys for uh, walking through uh, this time as dads as we reflect on, on, on that call to really make investments in our children's lives. Um, Psalm, Psalm 78, uh, we'll start there. My people, hear my teaching, this is verse 1, and listen to the words of my mouth. Then when it comes to that teaching and the words of the teacher's mouth, verse 4 says, we will not hide them from their descendants, but we will teach the next generation. And we're going to teach them the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. And often when I dedicate uh, little babies on the platform here, I'll ask uh, parents questions you know, just commitment question, dedication questions. And one of them I always ask is, will you, will you take primary responsibility to be a spiritual mentor? Like we're here with Children's Church and Kids Church and all our youth camps and youth programs. We're here to back you up, but we want you to be those who pass on to the next generation. And so this is really important to us. However, it's, it's not easy these days. First of all, because Dr. Wave, you and I, on the first Sunday of this season, series, we talked about relativism, right? How that increasingly in our culture, truth is being viewed as what we either feel it to be or choose it to be. That means it's different for everybody, right? So my, my friend Chase Replogle, who uh, is pastor of Ben Oak uh, Church here in Springfield, he's got his own great podcast. Uh, he's a great writer. He's got a pastor-writer podcast, and he helps me with my leadership podcast every week. And he wrote this, I was reading this recently, this indulgence in feelings as truth, and it was truth is what I feel, 
This indulgence is feeling as truth makes growing beyond what you feel unobtainable. It makes recognizing your own inadequacy impossible for there are no longer inadequacies but only personal perspectives and individual truths. And as a result, here's where the parenting comes in. We are robbed of the means by which previous generations were helped to navigate and mature their instincts. And uh, with, with the relative view of truth now, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll sometimes hear parents say, you know, well, I, I would never want to interfere in what my kids want to do. Or I would never impose my values on my kids. But God's called us, because there is truth, and because he is real, he's called us to impress on our children the, the reality of him and to, and to be spiritual mentors to our kids and to reinforce truth in their lives. So I was thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. And then what Jesus would later call the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. I want, I want my daughters to know that. I want my grandchildren to know that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then, one of the more remarkable, maybe parenting paragraphs of the Bible. Impress them on your children. Talk about these truths when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. So Dr. Wave, you're, much of your scholarship is in early Judaism. Could you kind of unpack here what he's trying to say to us? Yes, absolutely. This is just such an incredible passage. It's got so much packed into just one, uh, one short um, text. And the first thing that you see here is that uh, we are supposed to be loving God with everything in us, with all of us. And this then is supposed to play into this teacher role that whether you're a, a, a mom or a dad, we're just thrust into this role regardless because it says teach your children. doesn't mention mom and dad, but, but, but it's there. It's in the text. Teach your children these things. And so that mom and dad, they've got to be loving God with all their heart, soul, and strength before they even get into this imparting the, the, the content of our faith to other people. It's not just a matter of checking boxes. It's never going to be just a matter of touching bases or putting on a good face and playing pretty, but rather loving God with everything within us. And then from that basis, when kids are seeing a real, live, living, growing, vibrant faith in mom and dad, then we can step into that role as teacher. It makes no difference whether we've gone through some kind of teacher certification program. This is not about formal training. This is about a God kind of calling. And it's supposed to then bathe our entire family. The time that we spend, as well as these reminders about, you know, writing it on your doorposts and writing as frontlets 
it's on your eyes and on your hand. And then it's supposed to be this all-consuming kind of, uh, of lifestyle of when you, when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You know, the Bible has a really interesting way of declaring the allness of something. Uh, it's in the book of Genesis. They will know good and evil, meaning they're going to know everything before it's over. Or like in the book of Ezekiel, where he's going to send judgment in the form of fire, and it's going to burn up all the trees, whether they're barren or whether they are fruitful. Or Malachi's, I'm going to strike the tree, both root and branch. So when it talks about there, uh, about talking of the words of God, imparting the words of God, when you sit in your house and walk in the way, or when you lie down and when you rise up, it means constantly have this conversation going on about God and His Word. And in that way, living it and then letting what you say match that life by speaking these words on a regular basis, we're to be handing down the content of our faith and this relationship that we have with a real God in real time. You know, I love that emphasis on 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 loving God, the real God in real time, because sometimes we tend to, we're tempted to start just with rules and external behavior, and, and you need to, you need to rope in behavioral issues, but, but I, don't, I don't hear you starting with, with just do this and don't do that, but it's this imparting of what it means to love God and then interpreting everything in your family life. Absolutely, written on the yeah. heart, and then everything after that is an outflow. Yeah, my boy, it's not easy, though. No, no, it's not. I, and I think we feel sometimes the weight of that as parents, the challenges, the obstacles that are there. Um, I, know, I know I've experienced them in my own life being a dad. I've, as I've walked with parents um, as a school counselor and a counselor, I've, I've seen their own struggles in imparting this truth. And I think um, the challenges that we face, I mean, they're not, they're not impossibilities, but they are challenges and obstacles that we do. And I think all of us could echo as parents, time is one of those. Um, I remember being a young dad, um, working two and three jobs, trying to make ends meet, and just the struggle that was there to provide and take care of things. And, you know, at the end of the day, when that didn't meet all the financial needs, just the stress that that was under, um, and the physical toll that that takes and how it impacts your emotional availability to kids. So I think time is definitely one. And it kind of goes, another one that goes with that um, regarding time, maybe once you get settled financially and you have resources, I think one thing is choices. And that is one thing that we are not short of in America is the amount of choices that we could invest our time and energy into. Um, but as parents, as dads, are we investing in those and those things that are going to help us impart truth and still truth and them um, are the choices that we are giving them. If it's church a priority is, is again, discipling our kids to be followers of Christ a priority or is, do we let culture set the tone for that? And then I think, honestly, I mean, dads, I mean, sometimes insecurities play into that. Um, it's hard, you know, to lead our family spiritually or in a prayer if we're not comfortable maybe leading out in prayer in our homes and with our families. It's really hard to lead somebody where you're not going yourself. Um, I think that, that plays a part in it um, too, along with um, the, the things that we deal with there on a regular 
daily basis that just that work its way into our lives that maybe keep us or prevent us from doing so. And then I, I would think lastly, we could all echo, I mean, this is why we're in this series right now. Culture, unfortunately, does not do anything to support um, the family. In fact, society is attempting to deconstruct um, the family life. Um, in 2012, the American Psychological Association, they published a study that was done and it was about, it was research and study that was done about their, their advice for immigrant families coming to America, like how to help your kids acclimate what would cause the least amount of developmental risk to them. And for decades, their, their, their advice to immigrant families had been acclimate to American culture, learn the language, you know, again, as quickly as you can, become a, a, as much American as you can, and that eliminates some of the developmental risks that kids would experience. In 2012, they completely reversed their findings because of the toxicity of American culture. They actually said, maintain your cultural of origin, maintain your language, as long as you can and shield your kids as much as possible from American culture and that will help to insulate some of the developmental risks that come from students becoming at risk and so it's almost like being American poses more risk to your family and child, child development than, than being un-American and so I think it just echoes for all of us, for dads, you know who is it that truly has the heart of our kids? Who is it that has their ear, their voice? And I know the struggle for a lot of families is, you know, culture does speak into that, but may we as dads, as families, as parents commit that we want to have the hearts of our kids and invest time and energy into them relationally. No, Dr. Wave, you, you have some insight into just kind of where we are culturally and how this is impacting men and their role as fathers. You know, Pastor Josh, you're exactly right. And one of the things that we're struggling with so much is we feel ourselves on an almost day-to-day -day basis swimming against the current of culture. And we've gone in just a few short decades from father knows best to father knows nothing. And you watch it on, it's all over the place. It's in Disney, it's on cartoons, it's in movies, um, it's in the advertising industry. Hollyweird loves to promote this version of a dad as, yeah, he's just another one of the kids that needs to be raised right along with the rest of the kids. And the, the fact that we have just so marginalized manhood and fatherhood, the fact that we have minimalized the, um, the, the impact of the, uh, the positive input of a positive uh, male role model for children and guiding the home and leading the way in spirituality and pursuit of God is just so healthy and so important. You know, the user's manual says that God created them male and female. And that's the way that we exercise or the way that we operate maximally is when we go by the user's manual. And the Bible says, describes God as being the creator and the ordainer of a family and that children are born into a nuclear family and then a, a greater community or society. This is the way that God planned for us to live and to raise good, healthy, safe children. 
It's just so super unfortunate that our society has decided, as the word you used, is to deconstruct that whole uh, model and to decide that they're going to come up with a new and improved version, a bigger and better uh, model that unfortunately, as we're seeing in statistics and violence and things going on in schools that are unhealthy, drug abuse, et cetera, et cetera, that um, we're finding out that the Father does know best. Amen. Amen. So who's mentoring our kids, huh? Is the culture mentoring our kids or are we, although we can't insulate them from that, are we, um, are we investing enough that they can see there's another way to live and maybe be healthy in the midst of a toxic culture? I, I wanted to go uh, to Jesus uh, as we're thinking about all of this. Of course, the, the great role model. Um, it says in verse 13 of Mark 10 that people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. That was so interesting that the disciples felt they were still figuring out, still having aha moments about the heart of Jesus. And of course, they, they assumed he probably didn't have time for kids. Adult world, adult ministry, no time for kids. May we never say that as a church, by the way. May we never lack volunteers for our kids' ministry. May we never lack parents that are investing in their kids. But, but they, the disciples were trying to keep the children away so just adults were around Jesus. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. That means he got angry. He was angry that children would be kept away from him. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So Pastor Josh, I was thinking, uh, Wave and I, our, our children are grown and out of the home now, but you still have children in your home. If you could give us one or two things that, that you're doing, like very positively, to help um, keep your children exposed to Jesus and exposed to truth and not being distant from him, what, what, what are you doing? I think, I think one thing, and I would echo, I think I've heard it in our conversation already, is um, I'm just very intentional about living that life before them. Um, it's really, it's, that's so important that our kids see us living it out um, before them. Because the truth, and dads, you know this, our lives will speak louder than our words. Um, some of these things that we're talking about, the truths, that we're talking about living out in a culture, it, it's, it is caught, not so much taught, like academically taught. And so, um, you know, I can have, you know, time with my kids at, at the dinner table. We can like have a devotion and we can talk about the characteristic of patience throughout the week and how important that quality is in our lives. But if they go to Walmart with me and they see me being very rude and impatient with the clerk checking me out, my words have been completely lost by that one moment of example. So I think living it is huge. But I don't want to say that I, or set the expectation that we live it perfectly, because we don't. Parents, we often live this imperfectly, and that's where I'm so thankful for the gospel, that when I imperfectly live out the life that God has called me to live, I can apologize. I can own it and say, you know what? I really messed up there. I made a mistake. And I can uh, live out repentance before them and show them the gospel. Because the truth is they're going to grow up 
and they're going to make mistakes. And how do we respond to that? Do we hide it? Do we try and deny that we, you know, that we did that? No, we own it. We repent. We confess. We allow God's spirit to empower us. So that living it out before them is crucial and key. And then for our family, again, some of what I say, I hope it's not so much prescriptive, but maybe descriptive because every family's got to figure out what works for them. But for our family, it is having lots of conversations. And I really sense, Wade, when we're talking about that passage of Deuteronomy, I really, that seems to be the feel for us and how it's played out in our house, that the truth of God's word, his commands and his life for us is really been lots of conversations. They happen in the morning as we're getting ready for school. That happens in the car ride, you know, as we're going about our day. It happens at the dinner table in the evening. We just find ourselves at bedtime in those routines um, find ourselves landing in those moments where we have those intentional conversations about God and his life. Um, our, you know, our goal is to know him and to make him known. And so it just comes up. I'll share an example. Uh, dinner here, you know, fourth quarter into the school year. If you're an educator, if you've got kids in school, you know that fourth quarter grind that is there. It's just everybody's exhausted. They are worn out. And I sensed it in our family. I was feeling it as a school counselor. I knew my kids were feeling it. As students, my wife was feeling it as a teacher. And so we just had a conversation at the dinner table about just what God says about finishing strong and, you know, not growing weary and doing well. Because if we, if we keep at it, we'll reap. If we don't, give up. And just had a moment of just honest conversation and hearing from them what that experience was like. And just, again, getting into the world, listening to them, and then giving the spirit, a moment, opportunity, and praying together and just saying, God, help us to finish this year out strong. Help us to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Those moments have been huge for, um, for my family, I would say, and just some practical ways that trying to live it out and instill truth in them. Yeah, I think that idea of spiritual conversation, I, I know kids sometimes get cynical when when they only hear spiritual conversation at church, and it's like, that's the church compartment, but at home, um, life with Jesus is not kind of woven into everything, and not that we're talking about Jesus all the time, but I, I like that about spiritual conversation. That's a great, great point. You know that impromptu moment that Jesus had with these children, uh, not planned, not on the schedule. I think that that was really bugging his handlers, and yet all of a sudden we see in Jesus, receiving children. He's accessible. He's accepting. He's affirming. And then he does this incredibly fatherly thing. When you read scripture before this, it's the father who places his hands on children and blesses them. From Father Jacob in Genesis 49 all the way through, you see this, this kind of… Uh, Jesus is revealing this fatherly aspect of God. Throughout scripture, you see metaphor after metaphor for God people trying to communicate, what is this God like? More often than you ever hear about God called deliverer or king or judge, you hear God referred to as God our Father. We, his children, Jesus, his son, the bride of Christ, our heavenly bridegroom. You get this family kind of language going on, and that indeed goes back to God's heart and God's plan for us. We work better. 
we function more fully, more healthily when we're doing it according to the book and when we're walking in this very way that God reveals His nature to be, we're supposed to be imitating that kind of imperfectly as we do with the patience, the, the openness, the accessibility, the, uh, the affirming uh, aspect of this God, our Heavenly Father, toward our children that then opens up and makes these kinds of conversations possible and really meaningful when they happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, it's really, it is, it's, it's, it, God is present with us. And so giving our kids that gift of our presence, our time, because um, it is, that's what, that's the way, if you don't know, that's how kids spell love, T-I-M-E, by giving time. And so that's so good, that intentionality there. Right. 